1: Welcome, movie lovers, back for another Anatomy of Movie as we dissect Stephen King's The Dark Tower. That's right. So stay tuned. We've got lots to discuss.
0: Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie.
1: I really like this uh, this score. It's kind of like... It's interesting because Stephen King's got another movie coming out. It. And it kind of reminds me of a whore-esque thing, right. and yet exciting. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, we are your panel. My name is Phil Svitek. We have Dimitri Panos.
0: Hey, movie fans. Hey, Phil. Hello. Oh, nice. Hello.
1: We have Marissa Serafini. Hello,
2: everyone.
1: <laughs> and uh as always, understand that we come at it from the standpoint uh, that we assume you've seen the movie. Therefore, it is very spoiler-filled, so... So please do yourself a favor and go and see the movie first. If you don't care about the spoilers, then great. You've been warned. You now know. Secondly, uh, if you're joining us for the very first time, welcome. We appreciate you. If you're returning, welcome back. We love you just the same. Um, and uh, as part of you know what we talk about, we talk about in depth with these movies, the cinematography, the story, everything of that nature. Um, and as much as we talk about it, we don't touch upon, you know, Uh, every single note we have through our research and so to help you guys even further to supplement what we talk about you can download the description in the description box there's a link there for everything so you too can follow along Um, but without further ado as we always do overall thoughts starting with the lovely Marissa
2: Well, Stephen King, I mean, successful author and creative mind that he is. I was like, ex- excited to actually watch this film. I saw trailers for it a few months back, knowing Idris Elba was in it, Matthew McConaughey's in it. I mean, you have Academy Award winners. And all right, and all nom- right, all right. Yeah, and nominations. <laughs> like, You already have A-list actors in this, so that was like my personal draw to it. And but watching it, it was fun. It definitely felt that young adults type of feel, and there were moments of levity. There, like it didn't get as dark as I thought it was going to be. Um, it felt it was an easy, simple film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked the concept. I don't think the execution was fully there. Like into the fact that they, I felt like they could have gone farther into it and made it epic. It was just a fun, adventurous movie, not an epic. Movie not to say it was a bad movie there are some plot holes that I didn't really enjoy or like some plot conveniences more so like oh they have a portal here too I'm like how the heck can they keep traveling and there 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 was that point where like oh we gotta find a portal and they made it seem like they were very scarce when all they had to do was walk another block and there was another portal <laughs> um so the, so I had my you know questions of this film visually it was fun to watch um, but I don't think the the execution was fully there. All right.
1: Dimitri?
0: Oh, boy. Uh, where do I begin? Um,
1: At the beginning? Point, yeah.
0: It, well, you know, here's the thing. To me, this movie is a prime example of how a studio system breaks down when it has no idea what it's going to do with a property. And I felt that this movie ended up being released out of obligation rather than the passion for the project. Um... It should be understood, yes, Stephen King, very prolific, uh, continues to be so today. Um, this is an eight-book series, okay? I, I've i read Stephen King, reading Stephen King now. This is not a series that I've read, and people have shamed me for not reading it because they figure it's in my wheelhouse. Um, it was meant to be like a Western type of journey movies, uh, also inspired by, like, Lord of the Rings. Um, but... You would never, like, being an eight-book series, this, this movie to me felt like it was an epilogue other than an epic, mm. as you were saying, mm-hmm. um, movie. And it just, it, it wasn't a fleshed-out movie, and I just felt so little effort was put into the making of this movie, and it was too bad because you had Idris Elba, you had Matthew McConaughey, who really gave it their effort. I mean, I can't point to their performances at all, and say that they stunk or anything like that. But, you know, the director, Nikolaj Arcel, he put in a decent effort, but I felt he was handcuffed to chop shop writing in a really limited, extremely limited budget. Um, This movie, 95 minutes. 95 minutes. And we've talked about how we love brevity in movies, Mm -hmm. but this movie deserved a little bit more if it was going to be starting something off and even jesus christ the hunger games last book which was the shortest book in the series got two movies and they fl- now granted that was a pure money grab right but yeah, the third book was the longest d- was it the third yeah, book it was it was the two movie of, of the hunger games was it, yeah, I, it was. I forget that's how long ago all right i sit corrected thank you marissa But when you do that, this is 95 minutes. And then, marketing-wise, they call this a sequel to the books. Brilliant, because I've never read the books. So I'm going to go see a movie where I have no idea what the hell is going on because I never read the books. Who markets a movie like that? And then it ends up being, from what I understand, such a mishmash of books that they could have had a good franchise coming but they seem to have lost their course and they made a really low budget and it felt low budget to me I I can't remember the last time a movie looked so cheap and it seemed as if they were saving their budget for the fight scene at the end because it was the most action driven Mm -hmm. and it just looked cheap and it came across as cheap and it deserved better being this is a highly touted amongst the Stephen King fans as a great series to watch. The marketing, I thought, worked That saying something coming from Sony. It got me to go see it, but at the end, it literally was a D-movie.
1: Yeah, uh, I I echo a lot of the sentiments um, that you guys are saying. I actually, you know, in a strange sense, I didn't mind that it was short, and I think... Ironically, could have still been as short as it was, and still been a good movie. Mercy called it simple, um, and I think that goes back to its roots of of the westernization that Stephen King was trying to do to it. I have not seen, I have not read the books either. I've been trying to do as much research about them um, as I could um, without actually having to read the text. There's a lot there, and, and uh, one day I do hope to kind of go into them. But nonetheless, uh, I digress there. So, you know, and you, for those of you who have followed Anatomy, a movie, you know I like a good Western, mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> whether we've talked we about that matches.
1: with uh, Logan and so forth. Uh, so I could have really appreciated this movie, even though it's a little bit higher techy and it's got fantasy elements. Like, it's essentially, you know, a guy trying to kill another guy. Yeah. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of... I'll I'll call it like a coraline effect of like new worlds you're entering a new world. I, I appreciate that from Jake's perspective as well where he's like, you know, he find he self discovers this world. And it is a shame that that there were elements there and I was excited. And I to, you know, there's movies where I'm like it's bad. This isn't a bad movie. It just never lives up to what it could have been and I'm not upset by it, but I am saddened by it. That's the difference. Mm.
2: Yeah.
0: See, and I was upset by it because it could have been like something fresh and something like an amalgamation of great westerns, which what Stephen King wanted to do, and combine Lord of the Rings and have this. You know, let me ask you something, too. All right. So towards the end of the movie, you saw this the Crimson King thing, right? like throughout it was graffitied and all hail the Crimson Gang. yeah
2: right I was like where where is he well who the hell is
0: the Crimson Gang? now in the book he's the big bad he's the like but you would never know they made a point of showing it to me a lot but that's the kind of stuff you walk
1: away with the the world's you know when you're trying to create a world building movie such as this um, you either really keep it simple so that you understand the world but and the fact that there's there's this outline of worlds and there's parallels to parallels to parallels, but then there's a great beyond run by uh, what do they call them the skin men yeah, the, the guys without skin, yeah. but then there's the man in black who controls these people um it's unclear their motive and what is it what exactly is the beyond of the beyond like are they And I don't know you know a lot of people are calling it um. Uh, not that this 100% had it, but like uh, the light beam in the sky, take over the world ending, where that's that's what we we got to save the world because it's mm-hmm. the light beam or it's the the, the storm and right. things like that. And it's like we we just need better. I think we've evolved where um, you can go back to Hitchcock days where a MacGuffin could really be anything as long as the characters cared about it. In this regard, we're saving the world every single week. With all these damn superhero movies.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand where, where you're coming from. I definitely sense that Western element, especially with the gunslinger. I mean, he looked like he was picked right out of the West j- um, just the the physicality i like i get that also I didn't re- really understand the narrative especially if you haven't read the book, which I'm assuming none of us have um but to explain this world that we are now thrown in and crossing the barrier between earth and mid earth so I also Keystone understand earth. yeah Keystone, Keystone earth. earth um I understand like there are there are different parallel earths i guess um so, I understand that, like, the Lord of the Rings ask. <laughs> like, oh, we're in this right. area. Um, I get that too, but, like, I didn't understand the narrative. And especially if they're trying to build the world and trying to build a universe and a franchise, you have to set up bigger things for the future better. And yeah,
0: that- and let us, I mean, this movie has been in production for many, many a year. It's passed through many hands. But I get the sense of that watching this, and and again it it angers me because this is total all studio decision and try, not really having a grasp for the source material. Um, I have uh, three friends who are very big Stephen King fans and who are fans of this particular series. Two of which are just rave about it all the time, and. You know, when you start off with the Dark Tower, again, just relay that to the Lord of the Rings. What are they trying to do at the end? They're trying to get to... One of the books is called The Two Towers, but they're trying to get a tower to get this Eye of Sauron and to destroy it. This is another example of, we got to get to a tower and save it from being... You know, it's the opposite. We've got to save it from being destructive. But yeah, it's still a big tower. And the epicness of this was just brought down to so simple that it did play like a movie for a young kid. Like mm-hmm. an 8 to 12 year old kid. Which I think there's a little bit more heft if you've got 8 books. And then at the end of the movie yeah you can bring the 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 man in black back right? But you killed them off. Like it wasn't even like you opened a door for
2: a sequel for it's him like, to come back, right? You,
1: you just well, they, well, not with him. I mean, they said, that, you know, the the ending mm. is another adventure. Wait, so, and it's like, okay, well, I thought we just saved the world, in essence. <laughs> right. <laughs> what else is left? Well, yeah. What other adventure can you have? Um.
0: So, and so, that's why it just was riddled low budget and. uh I felt bad for the people who worked on it, because they actually put an effort in. I felt bad for the kid, too, because I don't like to pick on kids' performances. Never, I don't, because they're kids. And I always blame the director if if a kid's Mm -hmm. performance is is not shining through, because a a director can help that, you know? And I don't think this director was strong enough.
1: I don't even think it was that. It's just... Part of the problem is, regardless of whether or not you read the books, it's just obvious the gunslinger is your main character. Mm -hmm. And yet, the movie, from a script story standpoint, does not set him up as the protagonist. It sets up the kid. You know, that's our surrogate into this world. He's explaining... You know, he's learning, so we're learning. Um, and, and, And so... You know, Idris Silva is not given that chance to carry that way. He would have carried that way. And then you could have had the kid, and then he doesn't have to be the, the, you know, shoulder the movie when he was never supposed to, from a shoulder story perspective, shoulder the movie.
0: Yeah, yep. and the first book in the series is called The, Guns- the Gunslinger. The Gunslinger. It, you know, not and the had they tower. called this book or this movie The Gunslinger, other than The Dark Tower, like that sets up episode one. So. But uh, think there were just so many ways to go about it.
2: Also, like I understand why they might have changed the movie title to Dark Tower. Because, granted, if you're going to cater to the younger adult demographic, do you really want a movie title to have "gun" in the title? You know?
1: Well, I think I think the Dark Tower—it's like it's known as that series anyway. So I, I think you're not incorrect. I would just say the greater thing. Um, Is that that's what the series is called, so let's start there rather than, you know, subtitle of that? Yeah,
2: totally understandable. Um, I can just maybe, just in the promotional aspect, and and we always talk about how movie titles change Mm -hmm. in in production, but, like, that could have been a reason why they changed it. Maybe they don't want the younger generations to, like... um, like really have that gun? Uh, just the word "gun" is kind of a negative connotation. You don't want that in a uh, title, and that's not going to sell properly. You well, know, well, I well,
0: hear you, but if you're if it could have somebody's going to be a movie. If somebody's going to grow up to be a movie fan, they're going to watch westerns where they're going to hear the term gunslinger.
1: Yeah, so. well, it's speculative. Again, right or wrong, yeah. I don't. It, it certainly could have been considered. Um, I do want to let's talk. We, we've mentioned it, but um, now let's dive deeper into this development process. And I call it through the th- um, the three eras, if you will. <laughs> let's let us begin, and uh, let's go back to 2007, a good old time when a show called Lost was on the air, and a man by the name of J.J. J. Abrams was spearheading that, along with his friends David and so forth, and they were they were uh, quite the crowd, certainly. Remember those days?
2: <laughs> Lost? Have you heard of that show? Maybe. Well, Maybe. Those That's were the guys familiar. that were yeah. going
1: to do this movie. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, interestingly enough, though, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give more of the facts. But uh, interestingly enough, D- uh, Damon Lindelof, um, it's kind of almost good that it didn't happen that way because so many fans have f- f- been been upset by his movies that it's kind of better that perhaps he didn't it didn't happen there either.
0: Maybe, but if for, for me, Lindelof uh, uh, really made a rebound with uh, World War Z. No, and um, he's done some some TV that people have really enjoyed lately, and I understand what you're saying, Um, but I really do think that tackling an epic, you had a really good crew on board. But let's let's be honest.
1: Well, they were tapped creatively.
0: Yeah, but Mm -hmm. many, many A-listers, aside from them, were tapped creatively. That could have done a really well, good job. If you were going to make this a a full-fledged uh, series. Get, series or franchise. Like, if you were going to give the time and attention. And I'm not even saying that you had to do eight movies. That's an, a massive undertaking. I think people would be fine if some of them were cut short and you did this. I think the, the, the book fans would have been fine. Give me at least three, maybe four good ones.
1: Well they were kind of attacking it from like, oh my you know whether or not they were gonna do eight movies um is a little bit unclear, but they were always you know lost for them was you know it's an undertaking I mean that movie's gonna live or that that show is gonna live in the pantheon of t v mm-hmm. and so you know I kid you you know they they did say they felt very tapped creatively and um and in some sense. Uh, as Damon says, like he didn't want to he was a fan of the books and so he didn't want to do it a disservice and he felt like he wasn't the right guy to just, you know, take the mantle of that project right. anymore.
2: Yeah, and I appreciate that. And like you said, Dimitri, you can tell that maybe they now made this movie out of pure obligation. You know with J.J. Abrams at the helm, at the beginning of all of this, it started out as a passion project. It started right. out as a film that they wanted to do. But due to other commitments and um, stuff, you can tell that just slowly dwindled and got away from the passion. All right. But got more into the business.
0: And don't forget, too, then people like Ron Howard. that got involved. Era 2. Era too. <laughs> and, and just so that we're clear, we're talking... Era era, not error. (laughs) Just just you
1: know. So yeah, so he comes on board in in 2010. Interestingly enough, the one person who's been through all three eras, kind of, is um, Akiva Goldsman, who's who's been just re writing this thing from day one. Poor guy. Poor guy. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine the hell that he was in of, like, being like, okay, I'll just keep... Like, what what, what do I need to rewrite now? Change
2: it. Keep changing.
1: Um, but it's... You know, through... You could see Ron Howard, because, you know, he's done movies and various... He's got amazing movies. And at the yeah. same time, he's had a good hand in TV. And so they talked about the um, possibilities of that. Um, also, you know... Obviously you now you're getting a really strong team, not just him, but Brian Grazer, and yeah. that whole mix. Yeah, and
2: they're amazing. I love Ron Howard and Brian Grazer, and but like even in 2010, that's when Parenthood started, and Parenthood was a huge show, despite not having as many people who should be watching it, but I digress. but <laughs> again, we're sh- we're talking about other people, another director who was well incapable of pulling this off, but because of other commitments couldn't do it
0: yeah and and again. You know, Ron Howard would have been a good choice. I mean, he's dabbled in the fantasy world with, with movies. Like Willow, which is a beloved mm-hmm. Ron Howard movie. And so you get a sense. He loves the Western as well, Ron Howard. So you get a sense that under his hands, this could have been a really, really well-told tale. And then...
1: And then we, yeah. <laughs> we go to... Ter- well, we go to Turnaround, where basically the studio wanted to offload it. Universal. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah. Yep, Universal had it. And they're like, they don't know what to do with it. They spent a lot of money, and, and you know, you're you're paying for a Stephen King, which already has a built-in audience, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's one of his most beloved. It's a series. He doesn't write that many
1: series. Well, this know? is magna. But, mag, what do they call it? Magnum opus. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> he started it when he was 22 years old. So, like, he spent a lot of time, and he's garnered a lot of fans
1: well he was crazy enough. he I, I, I forget which book in particular but um, it was always his belief to go back in uh, and, and sort of revise the series after a certain point point. and then luckily he realized you know what it's good enough Right. <laughs> yeah. but yeah. that just tells you the level of commitment that he had toward. The, I don't know many authors yeah they do a couple of revisions but uh, I mean that that's some serious dedication to be like no I'm going to go back and I'm going to revise it because I know I'm getting better
2: yeah But that's how much he loved it. Yeah.
0: And and he meant it to be, too, uh, as part of a centerpiece of his fictional universe, where characters could show up from other books, might show up in The Dark Tower. In fact, uh, he goes on to say it again, without having read the books, you know, he says uh, he himself would become a character in later novels (laughs) of, of this. So, yeah, he did take a lot of time, and he was inspired by a lot of things that he loved as a kid and growing up. That's why when you get into you know universal they couldn't get things off the ground they put it in turnaround and we end up at Sony
1: so good old Sony <laughs> oh Sony um nikolai Arcel gets uh gets the project and it's basically fast tracked he's reworking the script and so forth um, but in you know i I guess you would think a sort of um I don't know the term. I'm blanking on it, but at least Howard was still attached, not as a director, but as a producer. So at least you're like, okay, well, he'll have his hand in it and so forth. Uh, but it just kind of went from there. It just, it just did. Um, so let's let's just dive into the story. Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> I think this is, you know. The-
0: well, but but you know, I mean, I I think what you're bringing up is in- important. This Nikolaj Arcel. I mean, I know him most for. Uh, he did the original version of Girl with the Dragon tattoo the Swedish version which is a television movie um, you know and he really you really wanted to bring this adaptation he's a Stephen King fan a fan of the novels as well but again I think you also have to look at the time in which Sony would have acquired this Sony has been through its turmoil okay mm-hmm. um, this is supposed to be. This, at the very least, is supposed to be like a hundred million plus dollar movie that's supposed to kick off a franchise, and then comes talk about bringing it to TV and making a series, um, like on an HBO kind of thing, which fine. But I think they're already committed to making a movie. And that's what I feel. It felt like they had to get this movie out in one way, shape, or form, and you get the bean counters involved and. They're little red sharpies well we don't need this 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 gets cut out this gets cut out okay you can direct this movie you get a 60 million dollar budget okay what's he gonna say no (laughs) I mean well you know
1: I mean I don't know you know I hate to kind of pick on it in that way but to be honest I think if if they they just need to explain a couple more things and if you go back to the reference of A Lord of the Rings they just need a couple more walking shots (laughs) That's it. To, to expand the universe to be like, okay, it's taking a longer time to get from point A to point B as opposed to, here we are, great. Here we are now.
0: Don't you think we needed to know at least who this Crimson King was or is? Don't yeah. we needed a little bit more about that world and what the hell is going on? I mean, I, think I were... felt we needed or take it out,
1: more. Right. Or take
2: it or out. Or take it out. Exactly. Um, That's the, it. That was my problem because they set up the movie. I think they did actually did. Do a good job of setting up the villain, you know, our antagonist, with the Man in Black. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. he has X and Y Z powers. Don't mess with him. He has control over you. Um, He, I think, Matthew McConaughey did a great job of portraying that. But also, they they like showed things without explaining them, like the Crimson King. Uh, we saw that a few times, and I'm not sure who I was rooting for. Like, or not really, more so rooting for who I should be paying attention to or who's the bigger baddie. Right. You know, and we've talked about movies like, who do you focus on more? Right. Um, if we don't get any explanation, if they're not even going to talk about The Crimson King, don't even show it until the next film where they're actually going to focus on yeah, it. Yeah, and they could. Um, the ex- would- sorry, the, the explanation mm. of The Shine. It took me a while to understand what The Shine was. I don't think they did a great job of explaining, oh, wait, I had a double has- take.
1: Sh- wait, wait, you're Shine? Yeah. What? But, but what the hell Shine? That's well, also my again-
2: problem. Like, they had... I, I don't think they properly showed that the kid had powers. That's why he's thrust into this world like, oh, he has this ability. You could have told us that.
0: Yeah, but you know where that mm-hmm. ability comes from, right? It comes from the Shining. Little Danny from the Shining has... The Shine, okay? Doctor Sleep, the book that Stephen King wrote, which is a sequel to The Shining, it's about The Shine. It is about this power. They never explain it in the movie, which, like, but I only the got problem. it because... If you haven't
2: seen those films before, if you're right. just watching this movie on its own without right. any other Stephen King novel, you're not going to Yeah, you don't know that. what
0: The Shine is and then it is referring. Now, the interesting point is, in The Dark Towers... He doesn't have the shine. They don't call it the shine. Now the, we'll go into Easter. You mean ranks. the
1: the book or the actual movie? Because is...
0: the 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 movie of the Shining, they talk about Danny having this power because he's able to have he has this this power. I believe in the Kubrick film, might be somebody references that as the shine, whether it's Scatman Crothers or not. I know in the book it's a big deal. In the the book sequel, which has never turned into a movie as of yet, it is about the shine. So this kid. So now they're sort of kind of tying it into The Shining, which we've never saw this kid in those stories, but he has supposedly similar powers. But unless you know Stephen King, you wouldn't know what The Shine is. Yeah, but that's it not even
2: tied to the Dark Tower series. No,
0: it's not even tied in. In, in the book
2: series, it's not even called The
0: Shine. He yeah. does have a
2: power, Goodness. but not The
0: Shine.
1: Yeah, that's...
2: But again, it's it's another thing. That was the most thing. convoluted thing I've ever heard. It was another thing that wasn't properly set up or explained.
1: No.
0: Yeah. They just did it to purposely tie it into another Stephen King property that Stephen King fans would go, Oh, he's got the shine. Oh, okay. I get it. So the shine can do this. But those same fans who probably read the books are going, He doesn't have the shine in the book. What the hell are they talking about?
1: yeah i mean it, it it's we've talked about it other times in in other movies, it's that subtle line where if you don't you know the the easter eggs are supposed to be nice bonuses they're not supposed to be the crux of the movie that without them you're like lost as we are
0: mm-hmm. right well,
1: um agreed. so therein lies the problem um in terms of i mean let's start let's start talking about just the world building in general. Uh, I thought from a from a mechanic standpoint, I guess, opening up on, the way that they did in terms of stealing the kids and so forth, I thought it wasn't bad. But the way it was executed, it just felt like this weird concentration camp that then we never <laughs> returned to. And I was just, what? Yeah, I I kind of
2: thought the same thing too because they made it a big issue that this tower can fall with only the minds of the children. I was like, okay, I understand that, but their acquiring of all the children seemed right. too simple. I was like, how big of a problem is it if you can literally pick these kids off the street for right. you? You know, it, was, it doesn't, it didn't seem as drastic, I guess, or as. Right. Problematic to take down this tire that they so wanted when they can literally pick five kids every single day. Sure. Um, but, like, I understand maybe, uh, you know, our, our main kid was the big crux that could literally destroy the tire by himself. Well, I can get that, but it didn't seem their situation was as dire.
0: Right. No, and, and we could talk screenplay adaptation, right, yeah. for a little bit because Stephen King actually had a lot to say about it. Um, and and he and, and, and King, uh, in his own words, is will say he's not somebody who plans things out in advance as much, which is shocking for a writer. But he has his ways. Mm-hmm. So the Dark Tower, you know, so the challenge, and he believes in bringing the Dark Tower to screen, is because with so much material, where do you begin, and how do you present this to a movie going audience so they'll understand it and feel like they're immediately in the story whether or not they've read the books so the answer for that for screenwriters came in looking at the Dark Tower as a whole drawing elements from several of the books of the series and King goes on and, and explains it's a classical thing they call it media res medias res which means begin in the middle of the story so you begin in the middle in
2: medias res,
0: yeah. and then fill everybody in and it just moves ahead like a freight train from that point now, this is Stephen King. there's the operative or word. Or crashes Phil. like a train wreck. Fell <laughs> <Phil, laughs> <Phil> everyone <laughs> you know, Like a train I like that. Um, so, and look how many people: Akiva Goldsman, Jeff Pinker, Andre Thomas Jensen, Nikolai, ourselves. You know, and and they say that Stephen King was involved through all of it, which, you know, I sort of. I sort of have to cry shenanigans. Like, I know he wanted to get the movie made. And, you know, people were saying, well, he endorsed this movie. Well, of course he did. He has his name on it. They paid him a pretty penny for the movie. You know, it it would suck if he came out and said, you know, he's not like a Grant Morrison kind of guy who's going to poo-poo, like, an adaptation of his material. He wants to continue to work. He knows how to play it. So, of course, he's going to say, I had a hand in it. I give them all the credit in the world for what they did.
2: Yeah. But and, and just a little factoid for you. Uh, Stephen King is actually uh, one of the only living authors that's been adapted more than any other author in television and in film. That's a little Jeopardy trivia for you. Even more know. than... Um, yep.
0: Michael you, Crichton? No, yeah. not Crichton.
2: Living. Living. Oh, living. St- Stephen living. King is the most adapted author living. as of right now yeah. in television and in film.
1: Fair yeah. enough. Uh, you know, I mean, I th- and I think before his death, like, he's going to be adapted even more.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Don't so, forget all the short stories he's had. Yeah, oh, yeah.
2: absolutely. But uh, it makes sense that Stephen King would want to put his name on it, because it is his property. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Um, But, yeah, I guess going back, so even though we're starting in the middle for us let's let's go back to the beginning i never under, the, the there was a, there was never a clear distinction of what was the goal we i understand the like and i am not stupid i get the goal is to destroy this damn dark tower
0: mm-hmm. well for the men in black
1: yeah but 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 it's we, to why? save
0: the dark tower because it is the you know what i sort of looked at it as
2: like it the, the man in black wanted to, the he dark wanted to take you wanted to take the tower
0: down, down. so that mm-hmm. He could have reign over all the worlds freely and openly mm-hmm. without any opposition. The
2: gunslinger wanted to say. The it.
0: gunslinger was part of a group of people known as gunslingers. There may have been another word or name for them. No, but they gunslings. protected the tower from evil to keep balance amongst all the worlds and keeping evil from overtaking everything.
1: Does that make sense? It does, except uh, like for the most part all the gunslingers except for the one gunslinger were dead by his own doing by the black men blacks doing and when he talks about you know having full supremacy over everything kind of seems like he does i mean well, you know what can't you really do that you want to do with his powers yeah right
2: he's a, he's a powerful guy and like that's i understood and i think that's why he was a good antagonist but it also seemed too easy for him that there was no one else really that was built up enough to be on par with him maybe the gunslinger
0: yeah i mean that I felt a good the,
2: showdown but i mean I, I
0: i i figure the gunslinger um i liked, like you said i like mcconaughey's performance uh, mm-hmm. i thought he had a fun time playing this role uh, same with idris alba i think he had a fun time playing this role um I wish there was more meat to it, um, because the both of them together enjoyed what seemed to enjoy what they were doing. They had good roles as villain. We don't see McConaughey in this kind of a movie often, where he's going to play this type of a villain. I wanted to. I wanted more. I was having. I, I could have fun following this character in other movies as Idris Elba is chasing him down. I liked seeing Idris Elba as a action hero. Kind of thing. Um, I, I and wish
1: he, and, and he did a better job. You know, some people are saying he should have been introduced a little bit better. I actually don't mind the way he was introduced. I just who is this? Uh, the gunslinger. The gunslinger. Mm-hmm. Because you know we got him in these flashbacks and he was kind of a larger than life character, and then we met him. Um, but part of you know, I don't think it's necessarily directing um, in terms of Jake like they set this up in a strange way. He's got the most by the book parents in the sense of like the stepfather, I swear it's just one beer away from sla- from from domestic abuse. Right, yeah. Um and you couldn't have painted I, you know, when it comes to therapists um I'm just so tired of them being portrayed in such weird light of like you're crazy. It's like, well, dude, the world's falling apart. Maybe I get it. He's got his dad, but maybe he's also reacting to what's happening in the world right now. And you know what? Like, give him something. Yeah, I,
0: I'm going. I'm falling back on what Marissa said earliest. They went the simplest, cheapest route possible. They wrote caricatures. They didn't write characters. They wrote car characters that we've seen before in a bunch of other movies. We've seen the, the disbelieving parents. We've seen the near-abusive or completely
2: disbelieving Or misunderstanding father. parents, just yeah, in this situation. You know, the situation.
0: The mother who wants to... The mother who loves her son, wants to believe her son, but is so dominated by the evil husband. It, it was just... It was so They're by the numbers. And simple. As
1: you say. Well, I, I do want to clarify. We've talked about a lot of movies that have been, quote, cheap, yet, you know, there's, there, like, what's creativity really cost you? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you don't have to, like, you're paying the actor to say lines anyway. Might as well give them good fucking lines.
2: <laughs> I, like, I understand that. And <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, I understand that. I think it also, maybe they just didn't want to build the parents because ultimately they were going to die anyway, so let's not spend a lot of time with them. Let's not develop a relationship with them so when they actually do die, we care about them. Because when they both die, honestly, no one gave a shit. Um, but, so it kind of makes you believe that, hey, he's this kid is going to look into the gunslinger more as a, an authoritative parental figure compared to his own parents. Yeah, And forge that relationship more than with the actual parents.
0: Yeah, I, I, I get it. We've touted on this show, like you said, Phil, you know, brevity can be an asset. Um, low budget can be an asset in creativity. If you have a strong director, mm-hmm. they will think up of other means on how to film what's supposed to be an action scene. And unfortunately for, for this gentleman, I mean, for ourselves, the idea of creativity was to cut away from scenes, save money for a final fight scene. You know... Here we go again. When an episode of Game of Thrones looks better than a feature film, a theatrical <laughs> feature film, you got a problem. And
2: I was going to say the exact same thing. I'm wait, sorry not yeah, to cut you off. No. But like, I, I was going to say at the top of the show that I saw better special effects in television shows than I did in this film. Yeah, and that's Just a problem. Sad. That's sad.
0: That, that, that means, again, you can be creative with a small budget, but you gotta know going in. This is an epic story, right?
2: But it wasn't epic.
0: But they didn't. They didn't treat it. They didn't treat it with that respect or within within that regard. I hope that if a television show comes into fruition,
1: that it looks but, better than this movie. I mean, you know, to that point, you like you just gotta know your assets and uh, you, no, and then, you know, they, right. they they marketed Matthew McConaughey and Idris Elba, so. I don't think it would have taken a marketing meeting to know that those are your strengths. And so when it comes to that, it's not to say you have to cut out Jake. But when we're talking about his family and whatnot, well, then don't spend as much time with him if you don't want to build them up. What you really want to do in that amount of time is build up the father-son relationship between Jake and the gunslinger. That's it. And... You know, I, I mean, from a simple progression, the way I summarize it is, hey, I i I, uh, I had dreams about you. Who are you? We're sent by the black man. Oh, I love you now. Right. We fought <laughs> these monsters. I saved your life from these monsters. You're cool, kid. Yeah, you're kind of like my son. You're, you know, my, I lost my dad. You lost your dad. Yeah. Now I'll kind of be like your dad, kid. How's that sound? But That's we're not going to say that to each other. But right. pretty much, we're going to be as on the nose as we can about it. Right.
2: Yeah, I saw that. And I saw that with the whole, this is how you shoot a gun scene. <laughs> and like, I was like, I got that surrogate father building that relationship scene. Yeah. I understand. Uh, you
0: no, know, you got it. I mean, you did. But I think another thing that actually made this movie look cheap, and I've said this before, it's always, to me, in a good movie sometimes, well, not sometimes, but in a good movie, when certain... Uh, characters or played by actors that we've never seen before. It's like the Christopher Reeve effect. Let's not take away from Superman, let's hire an unknown, right? But this movie, all you had, at least for me, was Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. Jackie Earl Haley shows up. I didn't even know he was in this movie yeah. <laughs> until he shows up. Okay, there's somebody else who's recognizable. There was not one other person in this movie that I recognized at all. But because they had no parts that I could have cared in, like the parents,
2: even Jackie O'Hurley. Yeah, it's like
0: out? okay, it's just cheap. They just went cheap because they didn't add anything. They weren't strong in characters like the the the, um, the woman, uh, the soothsayer. I forget what they called the the psycho the house. Seer? Yeah, the seer. Oh, the seer.
2: the seer. The seer. I liked her.
0: I liked her. Have no idea who she was, and she ends up just dying, anyways. Of course, like she doesn't, she's
2: Asian, she had nothing.
0: Oh my god, you had to go there, yeah. Um, I did. But they didn't give that character enough to, that you really cared about mm-hmm. her, so it was just people that you didn't recognize who were just there. It's almost cannon fodder.
2: But like, you gotta admit, the trailer was all about Idris and Matthew, that's right. They sold it as their movie,
0: and they made a good trailer.
2: Yeah, it was like, hey, I the might trailer even wanted to, read to the see, this, <laughs> <laughs> see this, see this <laughs> film. Shoot,
1: yeah. Okay, let, let, let's talk about um, let's talk about the gunslinger from the. You know, is it one of the things you have to buy into is that for some reason he is the only gunsling unaffected by the Man in Black? Why? Well, I don't know exactly. I can't An- answer that.
2: Again, another thing they showed us didn't explain it. Um, and like he, even the man in black was like he, he can't fall under my magic or whatever ability that he has and throughout the whole film I'm thinking why? What happened? Is it something in his blood? Is it something in his genetic? Is it something in his family that he can't? Like what ability does this gunslinger have that makes him actually able to stand to men in black? Never explained.
0: Yeah other than did he have the shine too?
2: I mean never explained.
0: It was platholes. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's a plot hole. More plot holes.
0: Yep. Which is too bad too, because you have, you have a character who, according from what I understand, from what people have told me about this character in the book, he's the last one, and he's very sorry. He's very goal oriented, and that goal is to kill the Man in Black. That's his. That's his mission in life. Even when this kid shows up in the book, he's like, kid, you're getting in my way this is this is my one task i have to do this i am the last of my kind so there wasn't you know again without reading the books i'm not sure if there was a book where maybe he said he was going to hang it up (laughs) but i would have liked more i would have liked to have known the gunslinger better i would have liked to have known more of this brethren that they had of other gunslingers in, in in their protection of the tower.
2: Is it a family thing, yeah. or is it special like the Jedi's? Like they yeah. have to be picked.
0: Did they? Yeah, did like they all you have, have to the... have
2: a certain ability to do it because oh, right. we know with the gunslinger, it was him and his father. His father was part of this. Is this a family affair? Who knows?
0: But the father was or taken this... down by the gunslinger.
2: But also, these are questions that I'm like, "Was this actually explained in the book?" And we're just the fools that look like, "Oh, you should have just read the book," and you know,
1: right? Well, it's a sequel. Oh, oh, there's the a books. lot of people who read the books that are like, "I'm not going to see that." No. So a- we're in a completely different boat. But yeah,
0: it made you know, those people very angry.
1: For uh, for me, I didn't um, when it, when it came to the gunsling, I, I I was less concerned about the coalition, if you will, of gunslingers. Like I, I kind of got it. Um, it would have been interesting, but I didn't necessarily need that back story. What I was more curious about, and because he has such a presence on screen, was really his motivation of, yes, he's going after the man in black, but but there's just that weird incongruency where he's stating, the world is essentially doomed, and there's nothing we can do, but I'm going to go after the gunslinger, and I'm going to kill him. Well, in essence, you kill the gunslinger, you save the world. Or, I'm sorry, you kill the man in black, you save the world. Right. So it's like it's one and the same. So why are you so defeatist about it when you don't have to be? You know, you could say like, "Hey, I don't, you know, I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. I, I don't know how I'm going to, you know, I know I have to try, but I or whatever, or just I can't continue and I don't know." Yeah. They just, it doesn't it doesn't play what do they call it? It doesn't it it, it it doesn't read right or something. No.
0: And and it's unfortunate for both those actors. Because I, like, I would I liked to see Idris Elba that way. He elevated the material, that's for sure. As did Matthew McConaughey. They both, ele- they were both able to elevate that material, but in the end, their characters were like they just they weren't really fleshed out. We should get to know more. They They seemed one, one, one note. Extremely, one note. Both of
2: them.
0: Harkening back, simple. Mm-hmm. They were very extremely
1: simple yeah, but i I, I, and I, again, don't mind I caution simple? you because simple yeah simple doesn't have to be bad
0: no, no but 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 take a look at it. take a look m- take a movie like unforgiven
1: B- build gonna money, say money right
0: okay guy just wanted to build a house just wanted to build a house, but we learn about his character through either other people's take on the character, his take on his own character. But he's a very simple character, right? When you look at the spaghetti westerns that Clint Eastwood, you know, made his career, the, you know, his the man with no name is an extremely simple character,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but yet you empathize. Elegantly
1: told. Elegantly
0: told. You get simplicity, can work, but when you make it so simple without any sense of panache or style... You know, or you put thought behind it. There's no motivation. You would just say, what is the gunslinger's motivation? Is he seeking revenge for his father? What's he supposed to be? Why did he give up? Why, why did this kid come along and now I'm going to save the tower? Like, I don't, you didn't it, get it, I, to I think know the, enough about
1: him. I think, yeah. and again, this is just me making complete crap up. <laughs> but, no, but... <laughs> I think here's the thing: there is a if he's going to be defeated in that way that the gunslingers are really over, then why not have him go meet his doom with the Man in Black? That is why he's seeking the Man in Black, to be like, hey, I hate you and I despise you, and there's I know, but the sad part is I there's nothing I can do. And through the journey of Jake, he's reinvigorated; he has that shine. Shine. <laughs> I don't know. Um, let's talk about the final battle. Because you're, mm-hmm. you know, when you speak of it that they were saving money for this final battle, <laughs> it just it, it, it was okay.
0: Yeah, but up to that point, there wasn't that much. Up to that point, as far as action scenes went, there no, wasn't anything that was it, that special effects laden.
2: It still looked not to sound terrible. It still looked cheap. It did, but um, like the glass falling down, like we've seen that in better in television. That like and even I like got to give it to Matthew McConaughey. Um, he sold it? He, a little bit. I mean, even in his, be no, he's a big dramatic actor and stuff, but there are moments he just physically looked awkward because he knows it's special effects. Sure. It just didn't look right in the execution of visually. And taking down the dark tower, that didn't look scary other than just a black pillar. Oh, he- and, and we've seen portals that's just like, okay, shiny, swirl of light, okay. I just, there, I, I mean, and I watch a lot of fantasy fantasy shows and movies too the the Me too. the effects in this weren't as heavy or good looking and didn't also didn't feel like an epic showdown it just felt like oh these two guys are but what, what things actually at each happened
1: other. i'm a little unclear on that and i don't mean to be stupid about it but like bullets were fired one yes. ricocheted off the other one hit him how, one hit him how? and what did the kid really have to do with anything he just kept the portal open
2: kept the portal open so they can keep the fight going
0: yeah and and, and it was Idris out, the gunslinger using his skill like to to take down like to ricochet the bullets and everything which was cool but I wanted see and this is where the marketing worked but you you'll learn when you see the movie they farmed a lot of it. It's like showing the funniest scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a, a the funniest scenes from a comedy well they showed us in the way that they intercut them. you didn't get a sense that the cool gunslinger stuff like the way he would load up his gun throw the things up in the air have it fall and, like, pretty cool a lot of that was in the end because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was wondering mm-hmm. when is this scene going to happen oh they saved everything for the end except for the
2: the, the loading quick, of the gun the that's loading.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that yeah that's really cool you had all this really cool stuff he can ricochet a bullet off he can oh my god that's awesome, but now the man in black's dead. So now white. It was like,
2: and he's a good shot too, because there was uh, a shot right in the head, right in the
0: head. <laughs> but that goes to show his dexterity and his and what he his skill. And you have to. I mean, I was sort of assuming that every gunslinger had this sense of gunslinging skill. If you're going to be called a gunslinger, they may not have had his. His, his, well, they obviously didn't have the power to fend off men in blacks. Like, stop breathing.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. But, yeah, no, I thought, I thought that too. Um, my thing was, he, this man in black, he, he has this ability to control people. Yeah, that's scary. Um, also, I mean, that was a big whole thing in Jessica Jones. I mean, come on. Right. Um, <laughs> but also, I, I don't want to sound nitpicky, but the way me, the man in black died so easily just to a bullet, like, really? I, I, I feel like there's nothing else that they could have tried to... It, it seemed too easy to kill the man in black when you know just one bullet can take him out.
1: Like, Especially I mean, it, when it was we watch so bullets. many w- more war movies yeah. where people are taking, like, three bullets and still be like, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not
2: right. I mean, right. in fairness, the gunslinger like shot some more once he got the first bullet in, but it it seemed too easy of a death, and that was like you could have just shot him. Right. And I, I don't know that I think they built him up as a more powerful person than he already was, just to be taken out by bullets.
1: You needed to set it like had um yeah it it, it would have been I really was the reason why I was confused. I was really because the man in black is really realistically in between the gunslinger and um, Jake. Yeah. Right. right? So the gunslinger distracts him. Meanwhile, whatever bullets have fallen, get your shine on, boom, shoot him in the back. I don't know, but I was hoping that there would be some sort of, dist- you know, you have the advantage of numbers at that point.
2: Yeah, get Jake involved in, in this? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I thought
2: if he the men in black was exterminated to too easily
0: uh, yeah well I, my, my whole take on it is because he was so powerful that something as simple
2: like as a gunfire
0: <laughs> something as simple as a bullet there's like no way in hell that's gonna happen because he's so powerful mm-hmm. it's and you know it's my issue it ends up happening anyways you know and it, to me it was just the irony of it all you know I mean listen we, we'll talk more about this stuff but I don't know. I think believe it or not, did you know that this movie was filmed in South Africa? They actually took a budget to go to South Africa.
1: <laughs> well, they were the place.
0: they're oh. all over the place, but yeah, the production took the company to such remote places as barren Karoo Desert where they built the mid-world sets. Um
2: I like that because sorry, um the, not to interrupt. You. No. I I was watching this movie and they were in the desert. I was literally having the thought. I was like, where in America is this? <laughs> right. And now it wasn't in America. that's good I know
0: yeah and they, they they the layer of parallel universe, the company moved to uh Cedarberg mountain range uh, protected nature reserve features dramatic caves and characteristic red rocks, which I thought that that was probably just mm-hmm. Monument Valley. That's where you film a lot of uh, rest, uh, you know a lot of westerns. but production designer Christopher Glass. He's like, well, in South Africa, we found otherworldly deserts. Uh, it was almost like being on Mars. Um, and that horizon just kept on going. And so for him, it gave him opportunity to project and use locales that aren't familiar. See, but that's the interesting thing. I didn't know it was in South um, Africa, but like you said, it. where in America is this? I was mm-hmm. thinking it was different, but yet it was very similar to stuff that
1: We've yeah. Seen. Well, I th- the, the, the what, and I when I think about it, part of what really felt cheap, like it doesn't, you know, when you think of Lord of the Rings, you got New Zealand, you got Middle Earth, and all this stuff. Right. You go to South Africa, it can be very beautiful, but the, the, the colorization that they chose was so planned and dark that mm-hmm. it just seemed like th- it, it. Honestly, it looked like that they built a portion of a set and then the rest was kind of green screened in. When they're having their little fire, it's so strategic to kind of have that tree in front of no them rush. and they're looking out, but it's that small little speck yes. into, you know, as opposed to seeing the expanse of, of it stuff. all. Yeah. yeah. And so it did feel cheap just by the colorization and shot selection at times.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Because you never... All right, right, we'll catch this because I found this fun and interesting too. So the Manny Village that's where our seer is that uh, we're yeah. talking about that they come across. Yeah, it's like, who are these people? Right, <laughs> exactly. But that was a wine farm just outside of Cape Town. So they used this wine farm in here in a valley almost hidden against the dramatic mountain drop, the filmmakers built this refuge for a group of survivors of war looking for safety from the world. So, you know... Again, I find it interesting that that's a wine farm, but you're right, there was no scope or epicness that we get in normal westerns. In a western town, you see the western town, even though Brooks knew how to do this in blazing saddles. <laughs> yeah. You got to see the Vista. He filmed it in scope. And that's you know, making fun of Westerns. But you still Even that's, history of the world. <laughs> the history of the world still looked more epic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so it's a shame and that's a you know, that's another thing like to be honest. If you're there It doesn't necessarily cost you more money Right Just It's just creativity And getting it right So I I I was a little bit bummed about that Marissa You always like uh, Colors And what they (laughs) Signify
2: Signify Signify
1: So I'll um, let you speak to that more Do you agree Disagree I agree I think
2: they show New York In the New York light Sure. I mean Some parts are saturated Some parts are colored Um, Like I get that The scope of That world uh, of right. New York, but then when you went to that Mid Earth area, it it was very saturated in that one no color. Like you were saying, it, it was warm, and so I couldn't tell if it, if I was supposed to be happy. If this was actually a place of refuge compared to New York, right. or like if this place is safer than New York compared to the skins were you know falling all all the children. So, and um, but then when we got to the village, it got blue. It got cold. Right. Um, didn't know if I could trust these people, but we had the seer, so I guess, yeah, I guess we did. Sure. Um, but even in the, the forest, the only bout of color that I really recognized was when that, I don't even know what the hell you call it. Yeah. The demon, the illusion thingy. Oh yeah. Monster. Like, what the hell was that? Again, showing something, not explaining what it was. Um, that was the only red that I saw. Red looked dangerous. Red usually signifies danger, like. Did and they, they used that, that color sh- And I thought that was Absolutely. good. Um, but it, I think the only pop of red that I saw it in the, the forest, because I could tell they were in the woods. Couldn't tell if they were in America or in South America. But I, I liked it. It signified the different worlds. There there was a visual drastic difference, so you can tell we were somewhere here,
1: else. Here was, um, here was something else as I think about it. I know we keep going back and forth, but... Um, a... You know, his shine was so pure that he couldn't cross worlds, right? And they, they never really went further with that, but that's a huge plot point to leave. Second, uh, apologies if this gives anything too much away, um, although it doesn't. Uh, Miss Peregrine's Home of Peculiar Kids, mm-hmm. they're also similar to the antagonist. And I'll say the antagonist because I also encompass the man in black, but also beyond that where, you know, they don't fit into their skin. And in in uh, Miss Peregrine, at least there was a purpose behind that. Right. Whereas this, okay, they're trying to destroy the tower. Why not their purpose? And again, I don't know the book, so this is where it gets convoluted because you're now shifting the adaptation. But you got to explain it because it's like, okay, are they stealing these kids so they can have skin? What are they like? Why are they? Why are they different? What the hell's up with that?
2: Are they just stealing the kids just to take down the dark tower? How come the adults couldn't do it? Right. What is it? Is it just the kids with shine that have the ability to mentally take this down or take this tower down? I think it's more of a mental thing. Well, I think the. I think it was also like I couldn't understand like why does something mental have to take something physical down?
1: Well, here I you know I could speak to that I guess Um, I don't know if you guys have have ever read. Yeah, well, strange. I don't know if you guys ever re- – have you guys ever read Philip Pullman, his dark arts, the golden compass, the subtle knife, uh, and the Andrew I, I read the first yeah. okay. golden compass, So, yeah. you know, I, this doesn't give too much away, but, you know, with, with that respect, this is kind of – it's a cool premise, right? And they could have played with this, but, again, I, it, you could be altering Stephen King, and so – but they did anyway. In there, they were stealing um, kids who were entering puberty right before – uh, virgin you know before sexual thoughts if mm-hmm. you will okay um and so because they still represented an innocence and yet were were um you know of maturity to be able to enact action and, and there's a, i mean that's a very simplistic way of putting it but that's why like i, I do believe in the innocence of a child and i could see like oh the, that yeah. innocence can take down sure. the structure But I could have tied in, okay, you know what, maybe it needs to be someone who's at that cusp of transition, innocent, but also entering adulthood. But again, the evidence of which I'm speaking, none of that's evidence. I'm just pulling this out of my ass.
2: No, uh, Understandably so, but that was also my question. I was like, is it only children that can take this tower down?
0: Apparently it seems so. Who built
2: the tower in the first place? Was it adults that built it or was it actually kids that built it? Is it like kids built it and only kids could take it down? I don't know. Again, it's something that wasn't clearly explained. No,
0: no. But, I, you know, I can speak a little bit for the color palette, and you tell me if this makes any sense to you, since we were talking color. So, regarding that that village, the Manny village, um, so uh, Director Nick Arcel described this as a cross between the Amish and something even more tribal. So... Um, according to production designer uh, Glass, Nick wanted realism, but something that was very similar to the Dust Bowl in America in the 1930s—an existence like the grapes of wrath. Okay. And we referenced Andrew Wyeth paintings for the color palette and the Spartan nature as to how they live. So, from a Dust Bowl standpoint, yes, what I sort of understand, but a lot of what we saw was at night anyway. <laughs> They're kind of in the jungle. Somewhat.
1: Like, I mean, they started off on the mountains. Yeah. And it looked somewhat luscious. And I get it. They moved, but we didn't really see them. That's what I'm saying. Just give me a couple of tracking shots of them walking so I know the distance covered.
0: Oh, yeah. I had no sense of geography in this movie. Yeah. No, no
1: scope. Whatsoever.
0: No scope. But again, I think that's because of you yeah, have a director who didn't know what to do with this budget I think he was really handcuffed I don't think he could have that, that what you want you want us to go there? you want us to film like two stand-ins what no it's too much money
1: can't do it license some footage of some like like uh, drone shots over trees I don't even need to see them I just need right. to see the drone flying over the trees and I'll assume they're there
2: yeah especially yeah. when they're trying to build different worlds quote unquote show us the worlds yeah you know?
0: But but I will say this, and this I found sort of ironic as to what the production would spend money for. All of the kids' drawings...
1: Um, <laughs> Don't tell me they were commissioned. They were. Oh, good. I, I kid you know, not.
0: <laughs> Jake captured his bizarre, bizarre dreams in a series of sketches. The kid's, you know, he's an actor, not an artist. So the production d- designer, Christopher Glass, who can draw... Um is an accomplished designer. He says one of his greatest challenges was creating sketches. He says it's hard for an adult to it's hard for an adult to draw like a kid. I don't know. Oh, Get me to draw. Psh, are you kidding and, me? And I'll show you. And he said, Well, this is what it I find I'm, out. For I'm, what I'm you quoting. <laughs> I even tried with my left hand, but we just couldn't crack it. So Christopher Glass found a solution. He launched a casting call for young artists, and two 15-year-old artists landed the design job of a lifetime. We showed them our concept illustrations, then took them away and asked them to draw from memory so they can mimic how Jake would have drawn them from memory after waking up from a dream. So, yes, they commissioned, well, they gave two 15-year-olds a great gig.
2: I like the process of how they did it, draw it from memory. Sure. Because that makes sense with Jake's character. He was drawing from memory. (laughs) Absolutely. I think they brought some authenticity into it. I remember, you know, because I appreciate good artists who can draw and paint and stuff. And I remember, I was like, those are really good drawings. Right. (laughs) Jake's a talented drawer. Yeah.
0: So they actually did commission artists, (laughs) 15 year
1: old artists. Hey, Um, if there's one strength of the movie, I thought those were absolutely. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. Yeah. I mean creepy but, but gorgeous nonetheless. But also in their own right.
2: I think the drawings did a better job of setting up the characters than the narrative.
0: Yeah, sort of kind of. <laughs> up, yeah. They almost look like comic book panels. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I um
1: agree. To that point, um, one of the things we haven't talked about is sort of the death of his mom. Such a pivotal scene and whatnot, but it kind of left unexplained. I mean we get it, she dies. Yeah, I mean... But what, would she go through the floor? What happened there? Did ash. she burn? Yeah. To represent the father?
0: Well, we don't quite have it in the budget to show the death scene, so that's why we're just gonna cut away and and, and muck up the floor. I don't know. And again, to me, that that's where there was no creativity in that cheapness. Like, because I didn't get a sense. It's like, what the hell happened? To her? I didn't even know that she died. Like, I had a feeling, but he could have kept her alive. He seemed that...
2: Yeah, he just, he, like he just wanted answers. He just wanted answers. He didn't have to
0: kill her. Yeah, and I was like, maybe she's in the basement. I don't, I don't know, but it, yeah, I don't know. I didn't get the sense that she burned. There wasn't any scorched. The the
2: paneling the, was the wood. Like, oh, yeah, the maybe, floor was maybe he's burned. Out there. I, don't um, I don't know. I don't know. I like, and there was that quick shot where the white. yeah I'm white. The men in mm-hmm. black um mm-hmm. like burned that one poor girl because he was just True. pissed. I was like, "Okay, maybe he burned the mother to right. ashes." That's like the only thing that I put together. But when it came to the death, I felt bad for 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 the kid because I was like, "Oh great, he doesn't have great parental figures." And the mom actually showed that like she cared. Um she cared for him and what he was going through. I did feel bad for him. But did we care that the mother died? Because she didn't add anything else to the story.
0: No.
1: Yeah, she wasn't fully on his side. It was. It was. They tried to play with the emotion, but emotion didn't. Hit and quite.
0: she could have been fully on his side, but she chose to be in the husband's side. Yeah. And whatever. Um, you know, uh, I can talk a little bit about the tahine. That's what these people sure. are called. The tahine. And we were talking about prosthetics and makeup. So uh, Graham Press and Clinton Aiden designed the slack face human like creatures that nobody else sees the way Jake does and so Press explains the challenge was to work out how to marry the real and the magic that happens on screen. They're animal looking underneath and trying to blend into the real world by wearing these masks they don't explain where the masks come from other than Press created prosthetic masks for some 60 characters whose slack skin made-up makeup took Three hours to apply.
2: Oof!
1: So even though we don't know where the masks come from for everybody or in total, yeah, (laughs) three
0: hours to apply.
1: That's crazy because it's not like it wasn't. We're not putting together a Hobbit suit.
2: Yeah, right. But also, like, if your production budget is going into skin, who, yeah, they're they're scary enough because they're following these kids, but they're not the crux of the story. And, but that's where your money's going to with the prosthetics, right? Yeah. It's just do it. With special effects, shoot. Well, interesting.
1: <laughs> you know, one of the things I like when we talk about you know you're kind of in deep trouble. Um, October of last year, uh, they they screened the test, negative results, as you can imagine, um, labeling it confusing and messy. So, therefore, part of what they wanted to do was do reshoots. And it cost them $6 million just in reshoots. Uh, and, That's a lot. Which, by the way, was to up Alba's character. Which, I like, I don't. Who looks at this and says this is not his story from the get go?
0: And it should have been his. Even the Dark Tower series, it is about his character and his journey, his Western fantasy Lord of the Rings journey to get this man in black to get to this crimson king who's apparently the biggest bad of them all
1: Um, we'll find out yeah Mm
0: -hmm. so um, you know but again just to take a look because I know we're going to go back but it should be noted too like the Dixie Pig that small city within New York where where, 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 we meet Jackie Earl Haley and everything so, that was actually an abandoned shopping mall, multiple levels, uh, spiraling ramps like parking structure, um, it actually, the set itself considered, uh, consists of layers of floor levels, basements, rooftop, a maze of corridors, and small rooms for vendors involved. So, um, it was a 360 degree set designed by Christopher Glass, and it gave the director freedom to shoot from any angle. And he said, we dressed every corner. We could shoot in every direction and even continue down to the next level to get all the shooting gunfire action and explosions just right. So you can see right there. They, sp- they took all their budget to put it
2: in. <laughs> in the
1: final scene. Into the final scene. The final battle. <laughs> I mean, well, you know. It's not a bad way, but just now just to over deliver something with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's it just, you know, it, it, it's that age old thing where if a gun's going to go off in Act Three, you got to kind of set it up. Now, we understood that, yeah, the, we get it. The gunslinger's uh, weapon of choice is the gun. It's a gun. Mm-hmm. And so, more than likely, he's going to use the gun to kill him. Right. But the method in which he kills, because, you know, he tried to shoot him at first, when we first watched that scene. I was like, okay, why aren't you pulling the trigger? Something's up. And then he pulls the trigger and it goes and it just, you know, he's unable, the bullet never reaches. Um, Then it's like, okay, well, that's not going to work. So we have to set up now a new way that it's like, oh, you know what? Uh, The gunslinger, the the man in black, uh, you know, he he never checks what's behind him. So again, that could have been the duality, play play it by the numbers. Here I am and here you are uh, in terms of Jake and the gunslinger.
2: Yeah, I was trying to figure out the gunslinger's motto, which we heard, like, over his mantra over and over and over again. Um, and I think what I took out of it was to establish that the gunslingers don't just shoot for fun. They right. like, they serve a purpose. Like, they, they're not uncivilized human beings that just shoot all over right. the place. Um, but, like, they have to have a reason to protect themselves or why they do. That I understood. It kind of lost its its meaning after hearing it so many times especially with that the whole showdown when jake is strapped in the chair and then he's uh, the gunslinger is saying it over again so like you're, you're talking about working together you only heard it in the mantra of working together but not physically
1: what, what does that mean to you because okay it goes i do not aim with my hand he who aims with his hand has forgotten the face of his father i aim with my eye I do not shoot with my hand. He who shoots with his hand has forgotten the face of his father. I shoot with my mind. I do not kill with my gun. He who kills with his gun has forgotten the face of his father. I kill with my heart. So what I take that to be is, and it's, you know, they say it so nonchalantly, but the, the interpretation I take is that there's a real weight to killing somebody where you're not, you're not aiming with it. You're watching it. You're internalizing it mentally. And it takes a piece of your soul That's what the heart represents to me And so if you're going to kill somebody It better be the right person to kill
0: Yeah, yeah and I, I, also, I also took from it That this was our Our peek into gunslinger background That it's hereditary From the father You learn from the father This This skill And that the father Is, is the all important he, He's the one who teaches you this skill, and mm-hmm. if you disrespect the skill, you are disrespecting your father, because this is what you don't, you know, you don't kill just to kill. You kill with your heart. You kill like these are all important things, and and again, this was in the trailer, and this is one of the aspects mm-hmm. of the movie that made me go, oh, I sort of kind of want to see this. This is Idris being a badass with a gun, like that scene that took place in that village. Yeah. Like,
2: a long distance yeah and like he just looking. puts his head
0: down and like he's just focusing in on sounds and the wind and the, and the and the wrench that clanks up against the pipe I thought that that was a really good scene and then it happens we've seen it in the trailer it happens in the movie you're like okay <laughs> yeah it happened that was the scene I was waiting for um but you know we can talk you know the the, the gun itself Roland's guns are actually based on actual Remington's um the key armor for the gunslinger, Lance Peters. Um, it's a slightly modified Remington, much larger barrels, cartridges, and engravings because we got a lot of artistic license. And Lance Peters created the guns by hand for the film, which is cool.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, yeah, so, which I think is pretty cool. So they created all those guns by hand. It's his Excalibur, in mm-hmm. a sense, because I, from what I understand, too, they build this up in the books, that Roland is a knight, that the gunslingers... Well, when you think about it, they sort of kind of are Excalibur, protecting... the knights
1: of the gun. Yeah, the, the knights of the... Round two.
2: The round bull, gun. Of the Dark Tower.
1: <laughs> but... but yeah uh, by the way they introduced that little nugget and I was like oh commonly referred to as a where, where you're from it's Skellander. like oh, re- what <laughs> I don't right now I don't need that let's get that later like All that's
2: right. a better story <laughs> yeah
0: yeah <laughs> you're right okay well there was a no nobility they they went for simplicity and there was very little nobility too mm-hmm. because this gunslinger could have been a a much larger-than-life hero other than just being fast and being able to load a gun really cool, which that was really
1: cool, but... I, that, that was pretty cool. That's since was. Wanted have I seen something similar.
2: Yeah, and at yeah. least it was done in a... An, and Wanted a, can curve bullets, you know. Right. <laughs> Gunslinger just <laughs> shoots the bullets really stylistically. Right. Yeah,
0: and but it was just the way he loaded a gun, whether it was like, you know... Flipping marbles or throwing the. the I don't, the I don't gun,
1: know. What the you, bullets.
0: Yeah, the bullets and then having them land in the thing the and then snapping the barrel and snapping it. Pretty cool. It was, it was pretty cool. Haven't
2: seen that.
1: I felt bad for the guy who sold them the bullets because he was like, it's not me, I'm not doing it, but he shoots them anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> Poor prick. <laughs> so it's, just got uh, caught in the casualty of it all.
0: Yeah, and. It happens. You know, and even in a. Um, Even in an interview that I found, I believe, on Coming Soon, the director even says, like, this was a mashup. Like, it was like... Mashup of... It was a mashup of the books. You were trying... Whitman's Sampler of the Dark Tower. Which, again, if they... I don't mind if they consolidate some books, but you're going to make a series. So if you take books one and two and maybe add a couple... I get it. you don't want to make eight movies. that's that's expensive. <laughs> and but you should have focused on making one really good movie to progress this forward. and then you could have gotten bigger more fans, build a fan base you who know, it perpetuates reading too. Let's face it. The Harry Potter books perpetuated so much. More reading after the movies came out because mm-hmm. then people got it. And then they wanted to go back and read the books. Well, like, it was already popular, but they didn't screw it up.
2: No, and but also like Harry Potter was iconic. I, I feel <clears throat> that's that's a one in a million thing that that's going to happen within our generation. Like mm-hmm. Harry Potter was so successful that in schools would actually take an hour off just to read Harry Potter. They're not going to do that with the Dark Tower series.
1: Well, there's certain one. I, I I get it. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I want to shift gears because one of the things I did enjoy uh, was the music. I thought the music was very beautiful. By um, Junkie XL. Junkie XL. Josh, do you have a little sampling? We, kind of, we came into it. Yeah, you uh, were
2: really excited with the music.
1: Yeah, the it, I don't this. know. It's just so... It's, it makes me smile. We're going on an adventure. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, there's an air of creepiness to it. But hey, we've got each other, so we'll be okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I get from it.
2: Um, you know, usually I recognize music in in scenes. I think probably the showdown was really that moment, especially when he's saying the mantra, like you get this upswell sure, of just music. But that's probably the only moment I'm recognizing. But
0: you listen to this, and you do get the quote-unquote Western feel mm-hmm. of this Junkie XL I believe uh, I think he worked on Mad Max which is a sense a certain type of a western as well
1: okay. so yeah the music it could have been worse I mean I love the music I love the music yeah I really did I don't know I'm sorry you know out of, I of I, I I'm not familiar I, with I,
2: Junkie XL I think that's why I didn't recognize it well I it's
0: not I like I go it's into these something movies something Hulkenberg yeah I think yeah. Yeah.
1: well it's not like I go into these movies being like oh man I'm so excited for this composer today <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: but it just <laughs> it I, stood I really for you. yeah, yeah. It, it was just one of those things like I, I, you know if there's if, if there's anything I take away from this movie that I'll remember for years it's that little little song right I will. Yeah. So that's good. It might not be as iconic as the uh, "Requiem for a Dream" uh, (laughs) song, but I I, I promise you, I I will remember this, and that's pretty cool. So something good came out of this. All right, Um, we've we've dabbed in talking about promotion, but um, one of the interesting parts was the trailer. The sort of leaked a couple of minutes, and they had to pull it down and whatnot, and. Um, you, you could maybe argue that that didn't help them, but certainly I can't say that that was the cause why this no. movie didn't do so good. This trailer? Not that the, the trailer? The fact that it leaked and it set it off on a... Meaning there's certain times, and uh, I've, I've been on the behind end of this, where there used to be a time period where full movies, remember like Wolverine, sure. leaked. Mm-hmm. And you never want people to have a negative viewpoint until it's complete.
0: Right. Oh, you know. I, I understand that. But I thought the, I thought the trailer was the best.
1: I, yeah, asset I did too for this movie.
0: I did too. It, I was really yeah. excited. Right, just to give you an example mm-hmm. uh, a friend of mine, uh, Ryan, he's one of the big fans of the, the book series. He had heard through contacts, people who were it worked on the project said, "Now, they said it could have come out a lot better." He was already, like, sort of kind of down on the movie until he saw the trailer. And I, was, and I was like, I don't know, man. This trailer looks really good to me. Like, I'm in. I haven't read the books, but I saw this trailer. I'm in. He's like, I'm in now, too. He goes, I can't believe it's a Sony picture. He goes, this is a really good trailer. The trailer was their best asset. So if a trailer leaked, I don't know, did they get... I, I can't imagine them getting a ton of negative publicity for the trailer.
1: No, they did. I mean, they... they... They were able to pull it down and whatnot, <clears throat> and then the trailer came out two weeks later, give or give or take. And um, and they start like when you talk about the marketing, it, it, we're dating this back to October 2016. Now, granted, they were supposed to come out in February, but then they switched because of uh, the Jumanji movie, sure, uh, and whatnot. And so there's, you know, they and you would think because they had more time that we could polish things up a little bit.
0: You would think but if they're not going to give you that budget, what are you going to do? Well, give, you have to give me the get time. It. You got to do. But even given the time, you still would have needed money. They were going to give Ron Howard 150 million dollars to make this movie. They gave him 60. Now, I may not be great with math, but that seems to be they chopped that budget more than half to give yeah, really? to this guy to make a movie 95 minutes. 95 minutes. Which we always talk about. We love short movies. That was one of the other assets of this movie. It was ninety-five minutes. I was done. I was home by nine o'clock.
1: Yeah, that's why I didn't feel too. <laughs> e- it had this movie been two hours, and it was the way it was. I would have been a little bit more upset.
2: Sure, right, sure, but but you got to give it. I'm sorry. Uh, no, you got to give it. The trailers are cut on footage that's already made. Right. And if the footage from the get go wasn't great. How do you, and like, trailers, admittedly, help sell the films? If, but the, if the footage wasn't great from the start, then they should have figured out that problem earlier.
0: Yeah, and I thought that the footage that they had for the trailer, again, it sold me on the movie. Like, even though I had heard from a friend who had somebody work around, around the project who said, nah, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about because this is a good trailer. This looks like it's got good action. Idris Elba looks we all bad. The trailer, Yeah, yes. it the a trailer. Yes. They cut a good trailer.
1: Um, well, let's. Uh, so, the culmination of all of this, though, in some sense, quite ironic. Um, so, uh, $19 million, which is a very Stephen King number. 1919 <laughs> <laughs> 19 was the portal, $19 million is what they made.
0: And it ranked number one.
1: Which is so strange.
0: It still pulled out a number one for the Dunkirk out. Uh Uh-huh. Dunkirk was in its third week.
2: (laughs) You would think that. But hey, they got number one. They had those numbers to boast about.
0: Sure. Sure. You know, number one, they released it in 3,400-plus locations. Um, To date, as of the 10th, it's done $26 million Um, worldwide or it's foreign intake thus far has been eight. So we're at 34 million worldwide. There is, a very, there is a very strong possibility that at least theatrically, both foreign and domestic, we could break even or come close. And then you have your ancillary markets. But I think something else that, you, that we... I want to talk about, about this movie too is its reception. Its reception was not good. From a critical standpoint... 18% on Rotten Tomatoes... Now... There has been... Okay... It's not good... 18% from a critical standpoint... Now... Also... If you follow this... or if you pay attention... I do... The reviews on this movie... Didn't come out... Like there was no... Tomato meter reading... There were no reviews on this movie... The Sunday before it opened... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday... They didn't screen the movie to critics till like, I believe Wednesday evening.
2: That's a big no. red flag. <laughs>
0: well, it's a, it is a big red flag. But the business is acting, because there's an article, like I, I pointed out, there's an article in the Hollywood Reporter about how studios are fighting back to Rotten Tomatoes. And the studios are afraid of Rotten Tomatoes, in part because they feel that people look at this, this, this meter rating and say, 18%, that's pretty shitty, I'm not going to go. But the thing is, is that bad reviews, and they go on to say, "It's like, so how are studios like Sony fighting back against this? Well, we're hiding the movie. We're not gonna, we're not gonna let critics see the movie, and then the the the, the rating won't come in until later." Well, I hate to tell you, folks, but. People have been hiding movies from audiences since the first day of really shitty movies. It's not a new practice. They do it all the time. When they don't have a movie that they have faith in, they hide them from the press, from, from, from audiences, so that sometimes you don't see a review until Friday or Saturday in hopes that the, the, the whole reason behind that was it's a print thing. People, when, people, when people used to read newspapers, if you didn't have a Friday review in the newspaper and you forced the critic to go on Friday to see the movie if you didn't screen it for said critic or reviewer, the review would get into the paper on Saturday, which was because it was Saturday, that was a lower publication run. People didn't read the newspapers as they did. Monday through Friday, and by Saturday. So you literally even hid the review, even though one was put out. But now, with the previews and movies coming out on Thursday, now they hold it back for as long as they can. The other thing that people don't understand as well is, like, the studios are upset that Fandango now, um, which pre-sells tickets, will have, they include that tomato meter reading... On it's their part website. Of their app, yeah. mm-hmm. Because I believe Fandango owns Rotten Tomatoes in one way, shape, or form. My whole thing is if, yeah. I, were, if I were Fandango, I wouldn't do that. My it's job, the, Fandango, to is sell to sell tickets. tickets. Yeah. I don't want to promote. I don't want to promote a movie, good or bad. I just want to sell tickets. I don't care if the movie's 100% or if it's 0%. I just want to sell tickets. I wouldn't even put the tomato meter reading. I know they're saying they do it for the customer, but why? No good can come of it. Like, people are going to go see Wonder Woman or Suicide Squad regardless of that. Don't put it on there because your job is to sell tickets and to promote the movies. If you put an 18% on Dark Tower... Oh, you're not going to you're the, not going to do your own that's, job. Exactly. That's a movie that, that could be on the fence. Wow.
1: Well. So, In comparison to Emoji Movie, which has 3%, <laughs> this movie's flying high. <laughs> Boy, no, that's the last it, time I checked.
0: But but Emoji Movie had kids. Kids really could care less, but you're right. By the
1: way, the Emoji Movie, not so bad. <laughs> Side tangent.
0: <laughs> but, again, I'm just like saying, studios have hid movies forever. This isn't a new practice. It It is more of a red flag today because we can get our information
2: a whole like, lot quicker. We're also conditioned, like, oh, someone didn't say anything about it. They're probably Oops. hiding something. They we're conditioned to already think, like, low scores is bad.
0: Yeah, and don't think for a minute that the studios don't have any control over, like, a Rotten Tomatoes because they can withhold the reviews and only parse out the good reviews. Which Rotten Tomatoes will post. So That's why sometimes, and it's always fun to look at, folks. If reviews start showing up in Rotten Tomatoes a week, and a, a week and a half or two weeks ahead of time, right? And say it's at like 98%. Always look at how many reviews they are and where they're coming from. Whether it's the UK or whatever. And then once that movie comes out, then they can't withhold the reviews anymore. They have to go out. I'm willing to bet that that number drops. Sometimes it goes up. If it's at an 80, sometimes it could go up. Most of the times it'll go down because that's what the studio is parsing out. They're parsing out their good reviews. That's also a good strategy. Yeah. But studios hide movies all the time. And, you know, we we, have, we as moviegoers sniff out the stinkers like that when they do that.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: Again, we as we said though, ultimately we were. I, I went into it very excited. Me too. So unfortunately, they had me, and I uh, I don't. I'm not one to necessarily check the reviews in that regard, and so I was just playing into it. Now, interesting. There's a lot of talk. I want I want to shift gears a little bit towards sure. the TV show because there's a lot of talk of the effects of this movie towards the TV show. As of right now, Glenn Mazzara who. Um, For former showrunner of Walking Dead is still moving forward for a 2018 release date of a series
2: I think honestly I think the content when it comes to the books is good enough for a television series and we've seen you know a crappy movie actually produce a better t- television show. That's happened a lot. That's happened with Buffy. That's happened with the Shadowhunters. I mean, the the, the first movie, um, the Moral Instruments, was shit, <laughs> <laughs> but the show is very successful. Well, I so, could take a
1: look at American Gods is doing that quite successfully.
2: Yeah, um, I, on
1: I, Stars and you know Neil Gaiman did that one, but
2: honestly, you know. and I think it's also shows are also successful under good showrunners. I mean, Glenn Mazar we've had him in studio he's a great executive producer he has that creative mind he has the ability to produce something great um uh, it's also under the creative directiveness of whoever has that ability over over a show so i think the content is good enough obviously to build this or they tried building or starting this franchise i, I think it would actually be good as television and kids watch television too.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to I'm just going to bring up two two series you may have heard about, The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones. Both adapted from something. From books? One being graphic novels or comic books, the other mm-hmm. one being actual books. The Dark Tower, I think if you were going to make the decision that it's either not budget effective to go theatrically or or just say you're gun shy, all pun intended. You would bring it to bring it to TV. Look, oh, another series. Here's a great another great example is Westworld. Look what they did with Westworld. This mm-hmm. was a Michael Crichton movie with Yul Brynner, uh, James Brolin. Mm-hmm. They've now turned this into a highly successful series. The Gunslinger seems that it would lend itself to a stars show, a sci-fi channel show, HBO, like, running series. You have a wealth of information. You don't have to wait for the writer to finish his books, like a particular series out there right now. They're already done. He's done with it. He would consult. He would get a nice paycheck from doing it, and you could probably do it right.
2: Yeah, and I think it's also... it does Mm. fall under the person who's the creative director, who's actually... It has to be in the right person's hands to make it successful, too.
1: Absolutely. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm like, said by Glenn. Yeah, and we're talking about, like...
2: The Dark Tower was... And we're talking about, like, the flaws of the director. Maybe that's why this film didn't work, because of the direction. But if you give it to someone else who's more capable creatively and execution-wise for a television show, this could be a very successful series.
1: And also, too, like, in that respect... If this was a, like, minus the ending, obviously you'd have to change a couple of things. But the, the idea being that, in essence, the questions posed in this movie, if this is a pilot episode, and I know I've got even, let's say, just six more episodes to go, not a bad way to start an episode.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. But from what I understand, regarding the series, they're going to focus more on the origin of the gunslinger. Yeah, I'm not but... sure how well, much I know, they're know going these, like, they're
1: not going six... to tie into this piece of garbage
0: <laughs> I, again i would like to see this epic eight book series play out the way that it was meant to play out granted whenever you do anything like that there are going to be some changes which brings me up because i have a question um to what are your thoughts on is it necessary to have read the book in a books prior to seeing a movie but no. i no, are, no okay. um,
2: like i don't think that falls on the case for everything I mean, take it back to The Hunger Games. You didn't really have to read the first book mm-hmm. to enjoy the movie. The movie, sure. the first movie was very solid.
1: I'll tell you, I'll give you a whole other thing. Shawshank Redemption. I'll give you sure. Stephen King book, yeah, or a, a short story. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, um... I but say
2: this. I think it's also under the guise that we know it's based on a series, so we're kind of conditioned, like, oh, you gotta read the book, you know? But I think... The film also lacks in in structural plot development where there are plot holes and that's why this, a lot of things why this movie kind of fell through because a lot of things fell through yeah.
1: I'm give, I am gonna go. know you got a point I'm going to give a quick little plug no, to please. a show called Adapted that me and Marissa host where we talk about books that have been turned into movies and ironically I'll give you a little nugget we're going to be doing The Prestige and that is an example where Christopher Nolan actually withheld the reproduction of that book because he didn't want to give away the secrets of that movie interesting enough so mm-hmm. check us out
0: Whenever you do things like Jaws and stuff, let me know.
1: We'll do. (laughs) But you you had a point. We digressed.
0: No, well, my point is because I read a review. I'm not going to call out the critic, but I was a little bit, because he said, admittedly, I didn't do my homework. He said, I've read one of the books, but I never got to finishing this thing. And he made this part of his review. And that sort of angered me. Because I'm like, you shouldn't have to read the book. The movie should stand on its own period and if anything sometimes the movie if you haven't read the book already maybe it will inspire you to read the book that's such a bad thing and then you'll like gain an appreciation of both now the book and the movie you could see the slight changes being made and or done but i haven't for sure read every book that has been adapted into a movie and lord knows there's been the exorcist
1: yeah, well, I, I get what movie. he's saying. He's saying, for and, you know, mind you, I, I kind of hold us on this standard, but at the same no, where um, when you come at it from that sort of expertise level, then he wants to put the best research forward. You know, we obviously try to do the same, but at the end of the day, we don't claim to be critics. We claim to be uh, filmmakers and movie lovers.
0: Yeah, well, I, I'd, I'd like to believe that I'm a movie reviewer, but at the same time, I never read The Exorcist, but it's a great movie. Never read the Godfather books. Don't have to. Great frickin' movies. You don't have to read Jaws to think that that's a great movie, too. All, all, all on its own. Yeah. Shawshank Redemption. Stand by me. There's You don't there's so have many. to read the story to be better informed. I'm a movie fan. The movie should stand on its own. Yeah. If I've read the book and I like the book, sometimes that's a detriment. Because sometimes I'll go in and go, shit. You've always heard the phrase, "Eh, the book's always better. Well, in some cases, you don't know. Sometimes they make great choices in adapting. Sometimes it enhances the book, and it might make you want to go back and reread the book. So it's not, I don't think it's necessary for the research and being professional. It's professional to know your movies. That's what it is. And to give an unbiased opinion on the movie without, like, you can go in and say, well, it does this to the books or whatever, but you don't want to spend too much time. I'd rather go about it as a movie fan, talking about the movies such as The Dark Tower and saying, even I can tell that they b- bridge this so much. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they ruin the story. Do we want to talk Easter eggs at all?
1: Sure. What, uh, well, we, we already talked The, uh, we talked the Shining. There's uh, uh, a couple references to Cujo, right? Um, yeah. There's It. There's It. Which is coming out. There in was misery. a reference to Stephen King. There a
2: reference to It? Yes. Yeah. I
0: missed that. The, uh, the Roland has no idea. Old amusement park wise. And it, remember when they saw that thing? And he goes, Oh, you have amusement parks here. And you saw the skeleton of like a roller coaster and such. Uh-huh. They were in the forest.
1: Christine with the toy car. Well,
0: I saw Christine immediately. Um, uh, the
1: Rita Hayworth poster. Shawshank, Shawshank
0: Redemption. I did say that. Misery's Child. Um, uh, Children of the Corn, Cujo. Um, but don't forget, also, there was a picture of the... Um, what's the name of the hotel in The Shining?
1: I forget, but it, yeah, it's, it's the hotel from The Shining.
0: The Overlook. The Overlook yeah. Hotel. There is a picture of the Overlook Hotel, um, you know, from The Shining. Obviously, The Shine. Um, as soon as he was... Playing with the right car, I said, Oh, that's
1: Christine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm well, a big fan of Christine. I think uh, I can't say we've done a service to this movie, <laughs> but we've certainly discussed it at length and, and tried to figure out where, where the flaws, why the flaws happened, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, as we start to wrap up, Marissa, what, um, any final thoughts on this movie?
2: Um, I w- did enjoy the concept of this film, that I do want to read the books. I think Stephen King did a great job of setting up characters and a storyline that people can obviously um, find interesting enough to read eight books. I do want to read the book. Um, Maybe not base it off of this movie.
0: I want to read the book now, be basing it off of this movie. Because I've had three people
1: who said... Because in reaction.
0: Yeah, well, and it's, again, I've had Stephen King fans going... How could you have, like, you've read Stephen King before? I'm like, yeah, they go, how could you have missed this series? Like, this is right up, this is the kind of story that you like. And so, when I understand The Gunslinger, the first book is the shortest. It's like 300 pages. That's easy. That's a good way to start. And if I like, continue on, you know. But Stephen King is an easy enough writer to get through and to read
2: yeah, I'll check out the books. I think, yeah, sorry, sorry, one more thing. I think also where I was getting confused, I had read another book series called The Seventh Tower. That's a six-book series by Garth Nick uh, on Nick's, which is kind of the same concept of, of kids, and there's a veil that's separating between worlds that the veil falls. <laughs> Literally, darkness falls on everybody. So, what? like, I actually was getting confused. I was like, oh, crap, there's another series about <laughs> towers in a world being in darkness too so. many towers i mean but granted not to like cross promote yeah. but the seven tower book series is fantastic i've read those maybe they'll make a better movie yeah i've read <laughs> those so probably i'll probably read the dark Towers series now damn
1: it. well there you go <laughs> you uh it. another book another series along those lines his dark arts i don't know why they call it that but it's uh philip Pullman, the first books, um, um, the Golden Compass, the uh, the uh, Subtle Knife, and the Amber Spyglass, I think, really wonderful books. The movie did a, mm. a horrible injustice as well. There, but Nicole um, Kidman was great in it. <laughs> all right. So, uh, all in all, I you know, had this movie been longer, I probably wouldn't been a lot more angry. I've cursed a couple of times for which I apologize during the show. Uh, no, there's some people who listen to us in the car and other stuff, and they're with their kids, so I apologize. Um
0: because know. we put the kids to sleep. That's why no, I'm kidding.
1: To that point, uh, you, you know, as as we wrap this up, understand we, we have a whole library of past shows for you to browse through, so definitely check out some of those, um, especially if it's your first time and you found us. Uh, we, we appreciate it. Don't be afraid to to dig a little bit deeper there. We've gotten you know, in terms of the library, we have over 400 actual episodes. Meaning we've covered 400 movies. In fact, so much that on iTunes it only allows us to house the 300 most recent. So, uh, you can either go to our YouTube or just go through our website. Um, if you're an audio listener to to get all the access to that, it's not like it went away. It's just not on iTunes, which is. Of Most course. audio people, that's where you listen to, so uh, sorry about that, Not, outside of our control.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and also also the kids. people who watch, if they liked it or disliked the Dark Tower, let us know what you think. Uh, let us know what your favorite Stephen King movie is. If you're a reader of Stephen King, let us know what your favorite book is. If you've read The Dark Tower, I've had this conversation with people who have favorite books within that series. Which one is yours? So that when I start to read the series, I can focus on that one. Um, So there's plenty to talk about, especially when you're talking about Stephen King. His fan base is very loyal, and it's big. He's been writing for a few years. uh, Certainly. Yeah, so maybe you'll have insights, too, about the movie that maybe we didn't have.
1: share, please. Well, one of the things, too, we're looking forward to, we will be doing it. Uh, when that comes out. So, can't wait. So a lot to discuss there. And um, a lot of a other sorry. stuff, too. We, you guys recently just did uh, Detroit. Uh, I saw the movie. Very hard movie to watch, but I think a very powerful movie. Um, so check out that show. And down the pipeline, as I said. Annabelle. Annabelle Creation. Um, lots of Oscar stuff um, soon coming, because we're coming to... Kingsman. Into Kingsman, um, certainly. So lots to look forward to as well. Um, in the meantime, follow us at DMovies1701. Yep, please. At SerafiniTV. <laughs> yep. And follow us here at The Popcorn Talk. And more specifically, at Movie Anatomy is our um, actual individual handle. So definitely check us out there. Um, on behalf of everyone here at Popcorn Talk, thank you guys for watching us. We'll see you next time on a- another Anatomy of a Movie. Bye,
0: all